Let's move on to our sermon. Our sermon it's in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. Matthew 7. Down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come and worship you today. Father, we ask for your spirit to speak to us, to convict us, and Father, to move us to become your church, the way you want church to be run. Father, we pray that your spirit will speak to each one of us sitting here and even watching or listening so that we might, and you would you move us? Move us so that we would want to be an active member of this ministry and really care about the people and the leadership of this ministry for your glory. Do that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I read a story this week about a very prestigious doctor. You know, she's very famous. She's very rich. She's very famous. And she decided to play a joke on all of her friends. Uh, she, wanted, she, she threw a dinner party. And uh, at this dinner party, she was telling all of her friends that she's serving pate. Anybody here pa- eat pate? No? Maybe a few of us? You guys know what pate is? It's like chicken livers or duck livers. It's like... Anyway, if you guys have ever, se- have, if you guys have ever seen pate... It kind of looks like uh, canned dog food, okay? If you've ever seen canned, the, the dog food that comes out of that can, it's gross. That's exactly what pate looks like. Anyway, she decided to play a joke on all of her friends, and instead of serving pate, she decided to serve canned dog food. So she puts it on a silver platter, sterling silver. She, you know, she puts the most expensive crackers and all assortments of crackers and all assortments of really expensive cheeses, you know, the little ham pieces, you know, and bacon, whatever it is, all these olives, everything that you would have for like a really posh cheese platter. But the main thing is pate. The funny thing is, all of her guests couldn't get enough. They kept on asking for more. <laughs> so she, she couldn't take it any longer. So she gathers all of them and she says, ha ha, I have a joke I need to tell you. It's not pate. It's dog food, and they all had a good laugh, right? It's a fake story, right? This is a real story, because at the, but at the end of the day, as if, if your friend served you dog food, would you be laughing? No, right? I'd be a little bit emotional. But the reason why I share this story is because this, this story perfectly illustrates what Jesus says is going on in the church today. And what's going on in the church today is religious deception. There are people in the church, religious leaders in the church, that look like Christians, but are not Christians, okay? You think you know what you're getting in these leaders, but in reality, what you're getting is an evil fake. And so why is Jesus uh, preaching this to us? Why does Jesus think that this is important to tell us? Well, you know, once again, Jesus just finished preaching the most important sermon in history, the greatest sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount, Last week, he challenged us to make a decision to trust in Christ and to live for Christ with all that we have. But he found it absolutely necessary to finish off this sermon with a few warnings and challenges. And the reason why these warnings and challenges are so essential and important is because if you don't get these warnings and challenges right, you may end up deceiving yourself or being deceived your whole spiritual life. And Jesus does not want that. For us. So, the warning that he has for us today is very specific. He warns us against false prophets. Verse 15, it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, prophets are people who claim to speak for God. 
That's, a very, that's, that's as simple as a prophet gets. Someone who claims to speak for God. True prophets speak God's words. False prophets speak however they wish. It's that simple. There were many Old Test- there were many false prophets in the Old Testament. There were many false prophets in the New Testament. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 11, that there's going to be many false prophets even now until the day that he comes back. Like, this is what he says. It says, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. There's that word, right? Deceive many people. And the reason why they'll be deceived is because these people or these evil servants will be dressed as sheep. They'll look exactly like Christians. But our passage today says deep inside, they're not Christians at all. They are what? Ferocious wolves. They're not just wolves. They're ferocious wolves, which means that they are servants of the devil. Okay? They are ferocious wolves, which means what? That they are ferocious wolves clothed in sheep's clothing, and they have infiltrated the church with the intent to hunt kill, and destroy sheep inside the church. This is what Jesus is saying. That's very scary, isn't it? But this is what Jesus is saying. And if that's true, then, you know, a lot of people think that Jesus is talking about those televangelists, you know, those evangelists on TV, they're a little bit too smooth for my taste, you know. Jesus is not talking about them per se here. Because what he's saying is that, you know, some of those, when you watch those guys on TV, it's like, I don't know, right? They seem too good to be true. But what he's talking about here are Christians inside the church. There are people inside the church that look like sheep, but deep inside they're ferocious wolves. You know, they look like Christians in every single way, but unless you look closely, you'll never be able to tell. Wait, Eddie, are you saying that Satan himself sends his servants to infiltrate the church so that they can literally attack the faith of Christians inside the church? And I said, of course, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, if you were an enemy of the church, isn't that what you would do? Right? Wouldn't you send like your spies inside the church to try to take down the people inside the organization? That's exactly what it says in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15. It says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, right? What's that passage saying? Of course, if, if Satan himself masquerades himself as an angel of light, then of course all of his servants will masquerade themselves as servants of righteousness. And here's the scariest part. You know, this, these passages talk about false apostles and false prophets. But who are the, who are the apostles and prophets of 2020 in the church today? It's the pastors. It's the elders. It's the spiritual leaders of the church. Am I right? That's who they are. It's basically anybody who claims to speak God's words or to teach God's words inside the church. So honestly, it can be any one of us. But today what we're going to do is we're going to concentrate specifically on religious leaders. Now, there are two things that I want to say before I move on. Um, and the first is this. You might be tempted to judge and to think about the pastor's elders and spiritual leaders of the mother church. Don't do that. That's not what we're talking about today, okay? Let's keep the scope of this message to FLM only. So the only people that should be in your crosshairs should be me, our CG leaders, and maybe the new leaders that we're going to elect for next year, okay? Judge us. Don't judge the people on the Korean side, 
Do you guys get that? Is that cool? Can we do that? Uh, secondly, I want to remind you that a few weeks ago, we actually preached a message where Jesus says, don't be judgmental. Remember, do not judge. Remember that message? Don't have a judgmental attitude, a critical attitude towards people inside the church. Don't act like you're the spiritual police, hunting people down, trying to find faults in others, trying to find hypocrisy, this kind of stuff. Jesus hates that. And so he's not encouraging that in this passage, you know? Uh, the bottom line is, if you find out that your spiritual leader is a servant of the, of the devil, just kick him out. Get that guy out of the church. But if he's not a servant of the devil, or if you're in the process of finding out if he is, then what does Hebrew 13, 17 say for us to do? God says, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. What does this verse say? It says, submit to your leader's authority, right? Support them so that their work is a joy. And if, I, if, I, if there's anything I get from this verse, it, it describes this intimate partnership that members and leaders should be having together, right? It's not just this leader and we're up here and you guys are just following. No, it's an intimate partnership where we together, you know, yes, it's our job to lead the church, but we need to do it with you. So we're describing this intimate partnership here. So having a judgmental attitude and a critical spirit towards leaders is definitely not what Jesus is encouraging here. Do you guys get that? Is that cool? Okay. But the thrust of our passage today is, is what? Jesus is saying that we have this responsibility to identify false prophets inside the church. That's our responsibility. That's your responsibility and to call them out. You know, we can't let them lead our churches. We can't, them be a, we can't let them be a part of our churches. We can't allow them to influence the faith of our people. But how are we supposed to do that if we're not supposed to have a judgmental or critical attitude? And that's what the rest of the passage, in the rest of the passage, Jesus explains that to us, okay? And he makes it very, very simple. He says that you don't have to walk around judging others or being sus towards people. Why? Because if you are intimately partnering with your spiritual leaders, their fruit will become evident to you. Okay? And that's it. That's the answer. Matthew 7, 16 says what? It says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You know, when my wife and I first got married, our first vacation, our first holiday we took was to North Queensland. You know, we decided to go up there to the Great Barrier Reef and stuff. Anyway, if you ever drive up north around there, it's so beautiful. There's so many fruit trees everywhere along the highways and we were driving one time past all these like fruit trees, I think, or these trees, fields of trees. And I'm not a tree expert, so I have no idea what types of trees they are. But, you know, all I know is if there's like these big round orange objects that's in the tree, it's a orange tree. Right? And if they're red, they're apple trees. And if they're like elongated yellow things or green things, they are banana trees. You know, I'm not a genius, but I know enough to know that that's what it is. And so that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You'll be able to tell if a person is a true prophet or a true Christian because that person bears the fruit of a true Christian. So the question is then, what is the fruit of a true Christian? And the fruit of a true Christian is Christ-likeness. When you look at this person, this person will be just like Jesus in his attitudes, in his beliefs, right, in his uh, character, and also in his deeds or his works. A true prophet reflects these in his life. 
But the question is, how can you tell or test whether that fruit is genuinely good or whether it's false fruit that just looks good on the outside? All right. Well, many theologians agree that there are two tests that we can apply to a spiritual leader to reveal whether he is a wolf or a sheep. And here are the two tests that you guys need to learn how to watch out for. The two tests, the two things that we must test in our servants are this, his teachings and his life, okay? Both must be Christ-like and both must prove fruitful in the lives of others. So let's look at his teaching first. False teachers never teach the narrow gate and the narrow path. Do you guys get that? False teachers will never preach the narrow gate and the narrow path. It's, it's not a coincidence that this particular warning comes right after the narrow gate, the narrow uh, way message, right? Because false preachers will never preach it, which means true preachers preach Christ, who is the narrow gate and the narrow path. But what does it mean for a preacher to preach Christ? It means this. It means that the preacher, that this person must preach Christ as the only solution to man's needs in this world for his life. Okay? It's that exclusive. It means that this person preaches Christ as the only solution to man's needs in this world in his life. Christ is the only way we can be saved. Christ is the only way that we can live faithfully in our walk with him. Now, is that saying that we can't tackle other topics? The preacher's not allowed to preach other topics on the pulpit? No, of course, he can preach all those things that's in Scripture. However, remember Jesus said that all the law and the prophets point to him? Every part of Scripture is either about him or points to Christ? Then, if that's true, then doesn't it make sense that every sermon should be about Jesus and the gospel as well? If every passage of Scripture is about Jesus? Of course it does. You know, when I graduated uni, uh, the biggest question in all of our minds was, how do we find a, a good church? You know, when we go back, we so in, back in Chicago, we go away for uni, and then you graduate and you find a job, so you move to a different city. So the question that we asked was, our pastor was, how do we find a good church in the new city that we're moving to? And he said, it's very simple. There's only one criteria. Find a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're like, okay. But then someone was courageous enough to say, well, exactly what does that look like? <laughs> you know, what does that mean? And he said, it's very simple. And it was a little bit shocking. He said, make sure the preacher preaches the wrath of God, hell, and, you know, the death and atonement of Jesus Christ. And we were just like, um, that's kind of a little bit heavy. And he goes, but think about it. Jesus Christ, why did Jesus Christ die? He died because of the wrath of God against sin. Because people are condemned to hell because of sin. That's why he had to die. If, if Christianity was all about having a better life or God doing good things for us, Jesus doesn't have to die on the cross for that, right? Why would Jesus have to die on the cross just to give us a better life? No, Jesus dies on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. That's why he had to die. So therefore, you need to find a church that preaches that Jesus Christ was the perfect son of God who became a man so that he could die upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and therefore satisfy the wrath of God against sin, and in doing, to give us his perfect righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness, so that we could now be declared perfect. And by faith in Christ, we could be reconnected to God, 
have a relationship with God, and now live for God with all that we are. This is the gospel. And my pastor said, this is his opinion, he said, if you sit under a guy's preaching for like, you know, two, three months, and you don't hear anything like this, leave that church. They're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The preacher has to preach sin. He's got to preach the wrath of God, hell, Christ, death, and atonement, total surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the preaching that we need to hear the most in our lives. That's the preaching that we need most in our lives. How do you guys feel right now? Not that great, right? No one does. No human being wants to hear that they need to live a life of repentance. No human being wants to hear that they need, to life of, they need to live a life of dependence upon Christ. But let me just remind you that the whole reason why we're in trouble in the first place is because some people in the garden decided to live independently. Some people in the garden decided to live self-righteously. That's the reason why we're in trouble in the first place. Our continual need for Christ and our continual dependence upon Christ is what we need the most. And therefore, it's what we need to hear the most in our lives. Not only for salvation, because he's not only the narrow gate, but he's also the narrow path, which means that the only way to live faithfully for Christ in a way that honors him and makes him great and influences this world for his glory is to walk that narrow path, which is what? To carry his cross. We need him and continue repentance and dependence upon Christ in order for us to live faithfully for him in our families, in our career, for our social media accounts, everything. We need Jesus for all things. If we want all things within our life to give him glory. It's as simple as that. Right? We can't do it by ourselves. And if you don't hear that message, the message of the cross, don't go to that church. That preacher might be a false prophet. Okay? Do you, you guys get that? You guys understand that? You know? You know, false prophets may never teach the narrow gate or the narrow road. They won't, actually. The false prophet might actually say a lot of biblical things, but he will definitely leave out the most important stuff, which is all about Jesus. So it may be. False prophets a lot of times preach really wacko stuff, and you'll be like, oh, that's wacko. And so it might be what he preaches that proves him to be false. But a lot of times, it's what he doesn't preach that will prove him to be false. It's what he leaves out. Therefore, you know, you, what you need to do is you need to listen to the whole body of this guy's sermons, whoever this preacher might be, whoever your leader might be, whatever it is. You need to listen to the whole body of what they're teaching. Does that person preach the narrow gate and the narrow path? If not, then you are going to be led astray. Okay, You know, the thing is, this thing happened, these situations happen in the Bible all the time. And maybe the most famous story is the story of the book of Jeremiah. Anyone here to read the book of Jeremiah? The book of Jeremiah is one of the saddest books in all of the scripture. Because this book, Jeremiah is a prophet of God, and God calls Jeremiah to preach repentance of sins to the nation of Israel his whole life. And the thing is, right at the beginning of his ministry, God tells him, look, I want you to preach repentance for the sins of the nation of Israel. They refuse to repent, and they're going to refuse to repent your whole life. They will never repent. They will never turn back to me. But I want you to preach this message for your whole life, even though they'll never repent. That's a sad thing. So Jeremiah's whole life, he's getting rejected. He's getting hated because of the message that he's preaching. Can you imagine preaching to people that hate you and don't want to hear the things that you have to say? And even worse, what God says is, 
they'll hate you so much and they'll reject you so much and they'll reject repentance so much that I will actually destroy them in front of your eyes. You will see the destruction of Jerusalem because they refuse to repent. So that's sad. But here's what's even sadder. As Jeremiah is preaching all this to the nation of Israel, there were all these other prophets that came along. And they became really, really popular. They became really, really popular because what they would do is they would take Scripture, twist it. They would take all these positive verses of Scripture and just preach it. And when they would tell all these people what the people wanted to hear. When God was saying they need to repent because of their sins, these false prophets were saying, hey, look in the Bible. It says God loves you. And that's all you need to know. So let's just concentrate on that. And Jeremiah says that these guys are preaching peace, that God wants peace, that God approves of them, that God loves them so much that he just says, wow, we're in peace right now. When really, that's just the words they wanted to say. And they got rich off of that. And they got popular off of that. But where are they now? They've all been destroyed. Not only the people who preached it, but the people who followed. Because those weren't God's words. Those were the false prophets' words. If we follow false prophets, we will be destroyed. This is why Jesus is warning us. It is so essential to make sure that you're following and listening to true prophets, whether it's on Sunday, whether it's the podcast that you choose to listen to, whether it's the books that you read, the YouTube videos you watch, whatever it is, make sure that these people are true prophets, that they preach that the life Death and atonement of Christ is all that we need within our lives because of our continual need for God every single day, our continual need for repentance, our continual need for dependence upon Christ alone to live faithfully for him. We may not want to hear that regularly, but that's what we need to hear regularly. It is the only message that gives us true life Because that's the only message that will drive you into the arms of Christ. Okay? Wait, Eddie, does that mean that if I'm sitting under a preacher and he doesn't preach the gospel every single week that I should change churches, that he's a false prophet? No. That's not what I'm saying. But when you look at his whole bank of sermons, if he's not preaching the gospel somewhat regularly, maybe every like two months, I don't know. I don't know what the number is. But regularly, If he's not calling people to repentance and dependence upon Christ regularly, then I would change churches. Okay? If you have any questions about that, please come and talk to me. You know, if you think I'm a false prophet, then please come and talk to me. I'll talk about that actually in a few minutes. But you can tell a false prophet by his preaching and most likely by what he's not preaching. Now, to be honest, I think it's difficult to tell whether a guy's legit or not. And maybe it's simply because we may not be the most theologically astute people within our lives, right? I don't know if I am. So sometimes it's hard to tell. But good thing Jesus says there's a second test that we can apply to see if our teacher is false or true. And here's a second thing. He says there has to be godly fruit in this person's life. Look at this person's life, right? Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Back in Jesus' day, there was a a bush called the buckthorn bush. (laughs) And it had these little growths or these buds that looked like grapes from far away. There were also thistles back in Jesus' day that grew flowers, that budded flowers that grew in the shape of figs. You guys have seen, like, you know, Uh, flowers that grow in the shape of figs. Anyway, to answer Jesus' rhetorical question in verse 16, no one picks grapes from bushes and no one picks figs from thistles. Why? Because real fruit doesn't grow on thorns. 
Real fruit doesn't grow on thistles, right? They might look like the real thing from far away, but when you get up close, you'll see that they are not fruit at all. And that is the point that Jesus is making. Verse 17, 18, it says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Makes sense. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying it is impossible for a false prophet to produce good, godly fruit. And the reason why is because a false prophet is sent by Satan, sent by the devil. His focus is not upon Christ. Therefore, he could never produce the true, eternal, life-giving fruit that only Jesus can give in his life. He might produce things that may look like fruit because he's a master of deception, but when you get up close, you'll realize that it's fake. A true prophet, on the other hand, will produce godly fruit because his focus is upon Christ alone. And not only will he produce godly fruit within his life, but the fruit that comes out of his life will bless other people. James Boyce, a very famous theologian and pastor who passed away, he once said this. He said, fruit from a true prophet is spiritually satisfying fruit, meaning that the works and character this person produces is not what any human being can do. It's what God is doing through him that approves him as a true worker of the kingdom. He asks, does this person's teaching strengthen and encourage the hearers? Does, it drive, does this preaching drive people to Jesus? Is there blessing in the lives of the hearers as a result? And are those blessings seen in the life of the preacher as well? If so, then this is a true prophet. Right? If a person is preaching the narrow path, obeying the narrow path, mirroring the narrow path in his life, causing others to follow the narrow path, then that's spiritually satisfying fruit, and this is a true prophet. Don Carson, another famous theologian, warns us of how we are to assess true and false prophets. He says, Please don't mistake worldly criteria of success with spiritual ones. Don't look at a man's style or popularity, confidence, or even outward success of his ministry to assess his fruit. Look at his godly character, righteousness, transparent humility, purity, prayerfulness, obedience, truthfulness, love, generosity, rejection of hypocrisy. These are the characteristics preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Does his life evidence the fruit that comes out of the Sermon of the Mount? True prophets produce godly fruit, good fruit, Sermon on the Mount fruit, fruit that blesses and drives other people to Christ. This is the real deal prophet. Okay? Is that cool? Jesus tells us what happens Oh, false prophets don't produce that fruit. Okay, this test never fails. Jesus tells us what will happen to false prophets in verse 19. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I understand this just a little bit. If you ever come to my house, we have, this, we have one tree in our backyard, and it's a lemon tree. Those who have been to my backyard, you have like, oh, I didn't know it's a lemon tree. Exactly, because that lemon tree sucks. You know, we bought this thing three years ago. I literally bought a special species that's supposed to produce like uber amounts of lemons all year round. You know, lemon trees are seasonal, but this one's supposed to be all year round. How many, how many lemons has this tree produced in three years? Zero. I have put so much money. I sunk so much money into this tree. I'm so angry. 
I bought special soil. I literally bought special fruit, like producing fertilizer. I even bought multiple mirrors. Do you buy mirrors for your trees? I bought mirrors so that sunlight can constantly be on these trees and angle towards these trees like forever. But to no avail. I mean, it's such a waste. I wasted so much money. And I'm so angry at this tree. I just want to cut it down and I want to burn it. You know, I literally hate this tree. And the reason why I hate this tree so much is because I feel deceived. I feel cheated. You know, I just want to destroy this tree. And I think that's exactly what Jesus feels towards people who deceive God's people. False prophets who deceive God's people. False prophets who cheat God's people out of knowing Christ and walking with Christ. And all the blessings that we talked about in the past six months in the Sermon on the Mount that come through Christ alone, I'd be angry too. And God says, you know what I'm going to do with those guys? I'm going to throw them in the fire. I'm going to destroy those guys. They're going to get exactly what they deserve. But until then, we as the church of God, we need to be able to recognize them, protect our brothers and sisters from them, and to call them out. And Jesus says that we can because in verse 20 it says, by their fruit you will recognize them. You will recognize them. Okay. So do you guys get it? Do you guys feel the responsibility? Will you guys care about FLM enough? To care for your brothers and sisters and to protect them, that's your responsibility. God's calling you to the, you to this. Not me. Well, me too, but you know, I'm the one in the crosshairs. But you guys need to care enough for our church. You guys need to care enough for your brothers and sisters that you're sitting next to right now in order to do this. It's so important. Okay? I'd like to end my message with three practical suggestions. I'm going to share them with you. One, two, three, and then I'll explain it, okay? Number one, what, what can I do now? Number one, love and submit to your leaders today, okay? Invest in your leaders today. Number two, either deepen your partnership with your good leader or confront your bad leader with their bad fruit, okay? So confrontation might be necessary. Number three, grow in your walk with Christ. Produce fruit in your life. Have any of you ever planted a tomato plant? The gardeners out there? I have. You plant this thing, and does it grow right away? Does it grow fruit right away? No. And tomato plants, they're a little bit like temperamental. You know, they're a little bit like, they just grow everywhere. And so, uh, let me ask you a question. While you're asking for, if you've ever planted anything, while you're waiting for fruit to grow in this plant, how do you feel towards the plant? Do you have any emotion towards the plant? If anything, you, maybe you have joy, right? Oh, I can't wait for these fruits to come out. I can't wait for these tomatoes to come out. But do you ever feel sus towards the plant? Do you ever question the plant? Do you ever get angry at the plant while you're waiting? No, right? You just water the plant, you know, and you just wait and then maybe you, like, you put your hope in the plant. Oh, I can't wait till you produce nice red tomatoes, you know? And then what you do, you support the plant, you know, because these tomato plants, they can't stand on their own, so you have to buy these sticks and you tie them so they grow straight up. You support, you literally have to support these plants. Maybe you pray for the plant, you know, I can't, please grow, <laughs> you know? And, you know, maybe you even dream. Wow, I can't wait to put these tomatoes in a salad. You know, whatever it is. But that's what we do. And that's what we do when we wait. And all of a sudden, you see fruit that comes along, and you get excited, and you celebrate. You pick it, and then you're like, wow, this plant is awesome. So you invest more in this plant because you know that if you invest more, it'll produce more fruit, and you're happy. But if it never produces fruit, then what do you do? You, like, 
pull it out and you just plant another one. Am I right? That is the picture of the church. If you understand that, then you understand your responsibility to the church. The first thing I said was you need to love and submit to your leaders today. You need to invest in your leadership, right? Hebrews 13, 17 says once again, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, uh, for that would be of no benefit to you. What is it saying? It's saying love your leaders, submit to your leaders, support your leaders, pray for them, partner with them, make their work a joy until you see their fruit. Why? Because fruit takes time to appear, right? Let's be honest. Even true Christians, we stumble, you know? We're not, we're not the best. We're not perfect, right? Some of us even backslide. That's part of the Christian life, backsliding, you know? But a true Christian over time will always manifest the character of the kingdom in their lives. Why? Because they want Christ. They want to grow. They want to walk the narrow path. Sure, they're going to make mistakes. But in the long run, they will produce eternally awesome fruit in their lives because they love Jesus. So wait, support them, pray for them, help them, partner with them until you see that fruit within their lives. And you will. Okay? So the worst thing you could do is be sus towards your leader. Right? The worst thing you do is be like, question, I don't want to trust that guy. You know, I'm not even going to pray for him. Whatever. Right? You know, don't ever be like that because at the end of the day, that will hurt you the most. Okay, don't be like that. Let's love and support our leaders. Um, and when good fruit is evidenced, we celebrate, we enjoy it, and then we what? We continue to invest. We continue to love, submit, support, because then more fruit can be produced in our church. More people's lives can be changed, and it's awesome. What do you do, though, if no good fruit gets produced or if we see bad fruit? Then what we need to do is, number two, we need to begin the process of church discipline which is outlined in 1 Timothy 5, 19-20, which says this, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that, the, so that others may take warning. Now this passage speaks directly about spiritual leaders who are sinning. It's very uncomfortable, but we need to do this. And the first step that you need to do is, if you see bad fruit in one of your spiritual leaders, get people together. Make sure that there's, it's not just you. But there's multiple people who have witnessed that bad fruit and confront that leader together and say, hey, we saw this, this is what we're noticing, and talk to that person, okay? That's what you need to do. That's your responsibility. I would also recommend talking to other spiritual leaders of the church just to make sure that they can do a proper investigation as well if it's really bad fruit or if you think this guy might be a wolf. It's really important that you talk to your spiritual leaders about this. Do you guys understand that? And then... When, uh, because the accusation is against a church leader, according to these verses, church discipline has to be carried out expediently. And if this person is found guilty, it means public rebuke, if not excommunication. Harsh, but absolutely necessary. We cannot stand wolves in the church. Okay, And as brutal as it is to throw out someone, it's a good thing because we're protecting the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus says to do. So either deepen your commitment and support your good leader or confront your bad leaders with their bad fruit. Lastly, and this might be the most crucial part of this whole process of actually watching out for false prophets, you guys as those who, you guys are, you guys are the people that are called to watch. As people who are called to watch and judge leaders whether they have good or bad fruit, it is really a calling to make sure that you are producing good fruit in your life right now, okay? How 
can you recognize, you know, this whole, this whole passage is actually contingent, it actually believes, it's all based upon this belief that you already know what good fruit is. You know what good fruit looks like in someone else. You know and you've tasted what good fruit is in the life of someone else. Which means that the only way that you'll be able to tell if this leader is producing good fruit or bad fruit is if you are currently producing good fruit in your life right now that looks like Jesus. That's the only way you can tell if another person's fruit is the real deal or if it's fake. So this command is not just a command to observe our leaders, but it's also a good, it's also a command to take a good, honest look at ourselves. Here are some hard questions. What fruit are you bearing now in your life? Can you list fruit? Can, do, can your friends tell you, oh, wow, I see this eternally godly fruit that you're producing right now. Is that fruit really yours? This is tough. Is that fruit really yours because you walked with Jesus and got it from Jesus? Or is it someone else's fruit that you took and adopted and claimed as your own. That's easy to do too in Christianity, isn't it? And here's a tough one. Is your faith real? Or is it false clothing? Those are tough questions. But what you need to realize is that Jesus is saying, this is the time. This is the time to make sure that you don't deceive yourself. This is the time to make sure that you don't allow yourself to get deceived. So this is the time to ask yourself the hard questions, the tough questions. Please do not leave the Sermon on the Mount if you don't know if you're saved. If you don't know if you're really a Christian or not. If you don't know that you're following the right leader or the wrong leader. This is eternally huge. Don't live your life in deceit. Don't be deceived. So please ask yourself the hard questions and let's be true Christians who walk with Christ, who live for Christ, and who bear Christ's fruit in our lives. Jesus says true Christians produce true fruit. So let's be true Christians who are bearing good fruit so that we can help and support our leaders who are bearing good fruit. But let's also be true Christians who are bearing good fruit so that we can recognize false prophets and protect the church from them. Let's pray. I know it's a pretty heavy message today, but it's a responsibility that we all have as members. So let me just, you know, break it down for you very simply. Number one, if you if you've never committed yourself to partnering with a leader, will you do that? You know, will you partner and support and love your leaders? That's the first step today. Our whole church needs it. Leaders need your love. Leader needs, leaders need your partnership. Will you commit yourself to praying for your CG leader? Will you commit yourself to praying for your pastors? Let's be a partnership together as a church. If you're not part of a CG, will you join one? Will you commit yourself to becoming more intimately involved with our church? Secondly, today is a day to ask yourself the tough questions, right? Is your faith real? Are you living in self, like religious deception? If so, do something about it today. Take a step. Enter the narrow path. Choose the narrow way. Choose Christ. Put your faith in Christ and live for him today. 
And if you're not quite there yet, then can you just talk to God and say, God, will you reveal yourself to me in such a way that I am absolutely compelled, that there is no other choice? Will you clarify that to me? Ask God to do that in your life. Lastly, let's commit ourselves to each other. You know, the thrust of this passage is to protect your brother and sister in the church. That's the reason why we look out for false prophets. But we need to be committed to our church to do that. Maybe there's some of you who have gone to church, but you've never committed yourself to this ministry. Will you do that? I'm inviting you to do that. Not because we want more members or anything like that, but because that's what you need in your life. You need to commit yourself to a church. You need to commit yourself to brothers and sisters, to love, to pray, to support, to partner with. And other people need to do that to you. Will you do that, please? Let's be a church that cares so much about each other's growth in Christ. Walk with Christ. Love for Christ. Let's really care for each other. Let's come together as leaders, as members. And let's live for him together. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word today. God, I want to pray for our leaders, our CG leaders, our ministry leaders, our pastors. Father, they sometimes they go through it alone and they carry the burdens of their people. Father, I pray, God, that you would just support them. Father, may your presence constantly surround them. May that you just fill them with your spirit, your spirit of encouragement, empowerment, of joy. And Father, Lord, that leads them to the cross, that continually leads them, God, to want to surrender more, to die to themselves even more, God, to make you greater within the lives and in the lives of their people. And Father, use them powerfully, God. Use them powerfully so that many people will come to know Christ. Many people, Father, will find their home, their peace, their identity in Christ alone through them. And use them powerfully, God, to be your ministers, Father. God, we pray for our, the leaders in our church. Protect them, Father, from the evil one who is constantly trying to steal their hearts and move them, Father, in ways, God, that don't give you glory. Protect them and give them spiritual sharpness that they might sense those movings and leadings, God, and they would rebuke it and move towards you. But, Father, we pray, God, in our church that you would move the hearts of our members as well to partner with our leaders so that we can move together towards you. 
Father, make us a church, God, that truly loves you and makes you the center of all that we do. And a church that really wants to move, God. It doesn't matter, leader, member, pastor, it doesn't matter. We just want to move together, Father, to make you great. So help us to do that. Continually humble us, break us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And make us men and women who just want to depend upon you for all things. And to give you glory for all things. Make full life ministry that church for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.